Lake Effect continues on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. I'm Bonnie North. It's time now for our monthly segment on entrepreneurship. Hi, I'm Kathleen Gallagher. Kathleen is the executive director of the Milwaukee Institute, and I'm Tim Keene. Tim is founder and director of Golden Angel Investors, and this is How Did You Do That?, a show about successful entrepreneurs and how and why they succeeded. You know, it's interesting because um, right up until the day I left GE, you would have never used the word entrepreneur to describe me, right? Maybe I had some entrepreneurial traits, but I was the big company guy, you know, the brand name school guy and just following that path. Milwaukee native Andy Nunnemaker went to school in electrical engineering and business at some of our country's top universities and held high-level jobs at two of its biggest companies. After running major operations for GE Healthcare, first in Australia and New Zealand, then for all of Southeast Asia, Andy was deep into a career as a very successful corporate executive. But then came a moment when he was presented with a life-changing situation. My co-host, Tim Keene, who had known Andy for more than a decade, approached him with an opportunity. Would he leave GE Healthcare to run a small startup called EM Systems that provided emergency medical services software and didn't have any profits? Andy jumped at the opportunity and he's never looked back. He ran EM Systems for seven and a half years and engineered a sale to Florida-based Intermedics that got investors more than 10 times their money back. Andy then ran Dynamis Software until its sale in 2018 at a price that gave investors nearly four times their money back. Andy, welcome to How Did You Do That? Thanks. Happy to be here. You got an undergraduate degree at Valparaiso and a master's degree at Georgia Tech, both in electrical engineering. But you never worked as an engineer. Why not? You know, that's true. I actually had an internship and six different co-op opportunities, all in engineering. As as I was going through those, I realized I really didn't like engineering. I had um, gone into it because my high school guidance counselor said I was good at math and science and should do engineering. And I, I kind of blindly went uh, forward. But once I realized I didn't like the work, I, I knew it was uh, time to look for something new. Can you define when you switched out of that engineering mode? Did you kind of look at some jobs and decide or how did you? Yeah, I, I really didn't, I didn't have experience outside of the engineering co-ops, but I had friends that were going into other lines of work and friends that were going into business. And I actually heard about a program um, from SBC Corporation, the company that's now AT&T, that they were hiring for a, a leadership training development program where they would give you a year in business, a year in sales, a year in operations, a year in finance. And I thought, well, that's a way to jump into business because that's what I think I want to do. But you had an engineering degree. How did you talk them into hiring you into that program? Yeah, it, it, it was maybe a little bit um, serendipitous. I went to a career fair at a convention center in Atlanta with thousands of other people, waited in line a half hour, walked up to the booth and said, um, hey, I'm Andy. They took my resume, they looked at it and said, okay, engineering, decent GPA. They said, well, we're not really hiring for technical positions and um, we'll keep your resume on file, which is code for they're going to take it and throw it away the minute I walk away. Um, so at that moment, I, I turned back and said, well, I understand you're not hiring for technical roles, but are you hiring leaders? Because if you look at the bottom half of my resume, that's who I really am. And that's where it went into talking about things like founding the Sigma Chi chapter at Valparaiso and leading efforts to change the Georgia state flag at Georgia Tech, et cetera, et cetera. And as we talked about those leadership opportunities, I became animated. Um, my recruiter, Nancy Zeltman, said, hey, let's go back behind the curtain and do a full-on interview. And next thing you know, I was at their corporate headquarters in Dallas. And how long were you there for? 
I was there for three and a half years. So I completed my three-year rotation, a, a year in sales, a year in operations, a year in finance, um, and then went back and got a, a sales job out of that program. And I actually had been going to um, SMU to take MBA classes just to broaden my, my business knowledge. I never had an accounting class. I never had a finance class. It was all just engineering. And a friend of mine, Brad, got into um, – he got into Harvard Business School. I said, well, geez, Brad, if you got in, I could probably get in. So I applied and um, went off to Harvard the next year. What did you get out of that experience? What was the most valuable thing from your MBA? You know what? I think the most surprising thing for me was the level of collaboration at Harvard Business School. I'd heard all the stories and thought, oh, this is going to be cutthroat and, you know, everyone's seen the paper chase, you know, where everyone's competing against each other. And it was really a collaborative environment. In fact, um, we weren't allowed to disclose our grades to employers and they weren't allowed to ask. So that really fostered a teamwork approach. And um, that's the approach that I've taken in business ever since. So that was extremely refreshing and, and definitely against the preconceived notions I had going in. So when you graduated in when? 1998. Everybody was going into consulting or investment banking, right, in 1998. How is it that you wound up at GE Healthcare? Yeah, you know, everyone was. And fortunately for me, I had learned from my internship opportunity and that experience. So I actually did a short summer internship between my, my years at Harvard, and I did an internship in consulting. Thank God I did that. That's how I realized I didn't really like consulting either. And, you know, I I had a great time at SBC. I really liked that environment. So I, I wanted to go into an operating company. And at the time, GE was the most respected company in the world. So I thought I'm going to give it a shot and try to get a job at GE. So you were one of the few Harvard MBAs who really wanted to do business. Yeah, I, I guess <laughs> at the year I graduated, over 800 of us graduated and only two went into GE operational companies. Did the fact that the GE healthcare job brought you back to Milwaukee, did that play in? Did you want to get back here? Um, I was indifferent at the time. I actually used um, the fact that I was from Milwaukee to try to get an in with GE Healthcare. I figured they'd know I was serious if I was trying to get a job from Milwaukee. So I played I played into that with the interview, but I'd lived all over the country and, and, and frankly didn't expect to come back to Milwaukee. So um, it was really GE that brought me back here for good. So what, what happened at GE? Uh, you worked for Dennis Cook, as I recall, in Six Sigma. And how did that kind of play out for you? Yeah, when um when I was interviewing, I was given a, a plethora of jobs, and Dennis's job was the one that really stood out, and it was mostly because of him, not because of the job. It was a quality leader job in the Six Sigma program, but Dennis was the type of leader and the type of boss that he brought a great team together, and then he gave us his undivided attention. We felt like part of his job was making sure that our careers were successful. And, and we would just you know, go to the ends of the earth for him. I remember we'd stay late. We'd stay till 11 p.m. working on pitches and things um, and wouldn't really think twice about it because we knew he had our back and every interaction we had with him was about career planning and what's your next job going to be. So, um, I mean, he, that was his leadership style and I certainly learned a lot from him. What was your next job? Where did he help you get to in GE? Yeah, he actually, um, within a year of, of getting to GE, he helped um, find my next job, which was running the manufacturing plant at their headquarters in Waukesha. 
And the deal he made at that time with the vice president of manufacturing is, okay, you can have Andy for this job, but his next job has to be somewhere else in sales or in service. So he was really trying to get me that broad experience within GE across the functions early on in my career. Um, and he was a career coach right until the day I left GE. So I need to ask this question of both of you guys. Um, I feel like I'm interviewing both of you. Andy, when you were in your 20s, you met Tim, and Tim had a group of about six young people who he was bringing together periodically. You were talking about big ideas, leadership, technology. How did that influence you when years later you decided to leave GE for a startup? Well, it's interesting because a lot of this is right place, right time, right? The reason I got my sweet job in Australia running GE Healthcare because I was in the room with Jack Welch at the right time. So a little bit of luck played into that. And I was frankly lucky to have met Tim Keene long ago and we had a decade-long relationship so that when the opportunity of EM Systems came up, you know, Tim already knew who I was. I certainly knew and trusted Tim. Um, and I think that's, you know, in life you make your own luck. But, but the way you do that is by putting yourself out there in situations like that. So, Tim, what made you think Andy would be so good at this? Well, I, I think when you're hiring people, it's pretty easy to uh, get fooled in a couple of interviews or three or four interviews or multiple interviews, especially if the person you're talking to really wants a job. But I had known Andy for years at this point and knew his leadership traits because we'd spent a lot of time talking about all that stuff over that period of time. So I knew that this would be something that I thought he might want to do. And uh, so I, th I think the question to you is, how did all of that experience, what happened at EM Systems that you were able to put all this to work for. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. EM Systems, it's, it's, when you're running a company, it's like running a P&L at a, at a bigger business. And the fact that I'd had some of that P&L experience in the past by, by running entire operations certainly was helpful. But to me, it's, it's the basic blocking and tackling and the basic business tenants. So what I've learned now, now having been at six different companies, the language of business is really all the same, and it's quite basic. And if you start understanding that early on, you can pretty, pretty well succeed in almost any industry. So for me, a lot of this was just the basic elements of business and doing the right thing. Like you said, Tim, um, it's easy to fool someone in a half-hour interview. At EM Systems, we had 12 employees before we ever had to go out to a job board and hire someone we didn't know. Our first 12 employees, we knew we all had a one degree of separation from all of them from day one. Same with Dynamis. Our CTO was someone I'd known for decades. Our vice president of sales was someone I'd known for decades. And I think when you put these elements of business into practice, you're, you're going to succeed. But you had a big, great career going, and it was secure. You threw that all. How did you calibrate that decision knowing you were walking into a startup with a couple employees, you were going to be taking out the trash? You know, how, did, yeah. how did you calibrate that decision? Yeah. That risk? For me, whenever I approach decisions like this, I mean, look, my internships, my co-ops were with the U.S. government and my parents thought I was crazy for leaving that because it's the safest place in the world. And I went to the phone company, which is you know one degree above a bureaucracy. And when I left that, they thought I was crazy. Now I think they've, they've learned, you know, don't question this. But here's the way I approach it. When I'm looking at a decision, I a big decision like this, 
I look at it through the lens of 10 or 20 years into the future, am I going to look back and have regret because I didn't take that opportunity? And so for me, it was a no-brainer. At GE, I knew exactly what my career path was. I knew what jobs, I knew what scale, what scope, what pay. And I knew I could always go back and get back on that train if something happened, if EM systems would have failed. I could have just gone back to corporate America and gotten another big job. So to me, there really wasn't a lot of risk. Okay, but how about that moment when it was 11 o'clock at night, you were late on a deadline, everybody else left, and you were sitting at your startup. Didn't you think, boy, if I were back at GE, this would be easier? No, because I was doing it. I, I mean, I was doing it for myself, not for someone else. And it's a that's the thing about startups. It's funny. People say, oh, now that you're your own boss, you can set your own hours. You, I mean, it's it's not like that, right? You're, you're a captive to the business in those lean first years, and you are there all hours, and, and that's just the way it is. But you're doing it for yourself, right? And you're answering to yourself, and you're holding yourself accountable. To me, that's exciting. That's invigorating. Now, you know, we've sold EM Systems, and I worked for Intermedics for two years. We sold Dynamis, and now I'm working for Applied Systems. I can work for other people. It's it's not that, but but there's something about that energy, and and when it's on the line, and you have to make payroll, that that's invigorating. So if you think back, so I bet our listeners would like to hear an answer to this. If you think back to EM Systems and to Dynamis, and you think of the one toughest situation, can you tell us a little bit about generally what that was and what you might have done about it? Well, I can think of, of learning opportunities. So um, when we started EM Systems, there was a philosophy that we had to create EBITDA from day one, right? EBITDA being cash flow? Positive Not earnings. Positive earnings, right? Obviously, you need cash flow to make payroll, but positive earnings because the convention said businesses sell on multiples of EBITDA and EBITDA growth. And so we produced EBITDA, but uh, looking back, had we poured all of that investment back into the commercialization and grown that sales team, we might have done even better than the 10 times return that we did. So in my mind, I say, okay, lesson learned. And when we did Dynamis, right, we scaled up the commercial operation, hired the sales team, but we did it prematurely. We didn't have the product fully baked, right? And so I think the lesson is you can't one size doesn't fit all and you can't have a cookie cutter approach and you really have to understand the business and make decisions relevant for the business. If I could go back in time, I would have done both of those things differently. Hey, I want to switch gears a little bit. Yeah. What you've become known for recently in Milwaukee is your work with the Symphony. You've, you were on the board for a long time. You became chair about five years ago, right about when it was clear the Symphony was in big trouble. Can you tell us how you got the Symphony out of trouble? Oh, yeah. Uh, obviously, it takes a village, right? And this was a team effort. But but I took the same approach that I'd always taken in my career. When you jump into a new job, you know, you take the first 30 days to just ask questions and assess the situation, take the next 30 days to come up with a game plan, and you take the last 30 days to socialize that game plan, and then you execute it on it for as long as you're in that role. So that's what we did at the symphony. And within, you know, the first 30 days, we realized we had a structural deficit of $4 million a year. That was not sustainable. So we came up with a plan, and then we went to the community and asked the community if they were ready to, to implement that plan. And it happened to include asking for what's turning out to be $140 million from the community, 90 to build a new hall, 20 to double the endowment, six to pay off the pension, and the bridge funding along the way to get us to financial sustainability. 
fortunately, the answer was yes, and the community gave us a resounding yes. We've already raised over 115 million on our way to 140, and the building's halfway done. So, uh, to me, you know, that's just rewarding, and seeing the city respond to a crisis like this of one of its you know cultural treasures and say yes, the symphony is important just like the parks are important and the sports teams and everything that makes Milwaukee a great place to live. And for me to play a small role in that has been extremely rewarding. One more question for you. Would you do another startup? Well, that's an interesting question. I've learned something about myself over time. Back when we started EM Systems, uh, I didn't have any reputational risk. I didn't really have a lot of financial risk. I had a little 401k from GE and that was about it. You know, so for me, that wasn't risky. When it came time to start Dynamis, I'd, I'd had somewhat of a reputation. I had a little nest egg that was put at risk. Um, and what I've learned is my, my risk tolerance has gone down over time. So I don't know if I'd ever do another pure startup. I think I'm more accustomed now to relative risk rather than binary risk, where a startup is either going to fail or succeed. Other types of businesses have more relevant risk, and I, I think that's what my risk profile looks like right now. You can read more about this story and find links to resources by visiting wuwm.com. And listen to all our podcasts at WUWM at the iTunes Store or wherever you get your podcasts. And that is all the time we have for Lake Effect today. I'm Bonnie North. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow at 10 for another edition of the show right here on listener-supported 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. <laughs>